Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hey, this is Josh. Uh, stick around at the end of this conversation with Panos Cosmatos because we have a little tidbit for you. Hello? Hey, guys. How are you? Hey, Panos. Can you see me? Uh, can we see him? No, we see we a can skeleton. see us. <laughs> we see a skeleton and a bear. We see a skeleton. Are you, are you next to a skeleton? Uh, wait. I think oh, no, that's here. Don's fault. No? There, there you are. There he is. Hey, guys, Catch you up on our big screen. Can you uh, see us? Hey, Joe. Hi. <laughs> Uh, yes, I can. Fantastic. Well, you know, Joe, um, you, how do you guys know each other? Uh, we met. Oh, well, fine. I, 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 I knew his dad. <laughs> I knew his dad. Uh, yes, yes. Um, I'm Josh Panos. Panos hey, man, Josh. how's it going? Very nice to meet you. Good. Uh, a real, Good a real pleasure. Colossal microphone. <laughs> you what? You're hidden behind that colossal microphone. Oh, well. You're not I'm missing anything. Fabulous looking young man. It's... <laughs> Better you can't How's see my, me. Is my audio okay? Your audio is perfect. Audio sounds yeah. great. Oh, just, thank God. The main thing, because they're only <laughs> listening to us. Yeah, they can't see uh, they the faces see we us. make. Um, glad we made this happen, finally. Um, not, not to start at a bummer. I don't know if I was, I was, uh, I went on a Twitter rage the other day. I was um, doing my uh, Academy votes. And um, what, what, is it because you guys opened VOD the same day you were in theaters? I was not allowed to vote for Mandy for Best Picture. Yeah. Uh, yeah I found out about that uh, not too long ago because uh, I guess they had hired a guy that specializes in trying to do Academy pushes or whatever because yeah. you know, we were hoping that maybe Johan could get a yeah. nomination. Oh, for sure. Yeah. But yeah, I, I guess their rules are that you have to be in, you have to have two screenings per day in the first week uh. on one screen. For whatever reason, RLJE had only put it uh, in one on one screen, but uh, for one showing a day. That took a long time to say for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> God, well, I, I I guess you weren't technically robbed, and I don't. I'm not a big fan of uh, ranking movies, and so I won't. But of of all the movies I saw last year, um, the only one I've seen more than once, and will see more times this year from last year, uh, was Mandy. So. Uh, Thanks, man. I just I absolutely love that film. Are we uh, Don? How are we doing on? Oh, we're ready. Oh, wow, fantastic. Okay, so uh, which we should we? Uh, so, are you, so you're all the nice things you had to say about Mandy are going to off the air? Yeah, no, they're actually. <laughs> 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 uh, yeah, and I'm not going to say them again either. All right, fine. No, that was we were recording all of that. Um, <laughs> And I'll give you the new heads up we're giving everybody. If you can find it in your heart to badmouth a well-known movie, that would be great. Because um, uh, no, ah. the, we, William Friedkin was on too a couple of weeks ago and uh, said Exorcist Two was the worst movie he'd ever seen, and we got a lot of press out of that. So and he'd only seen and he'd only seen forty minutes of it. <laughs> I think he's allowed to badmouth that one. I know? think so. Oh, everybody is. It's a it's a it's a 
it's a football. But uh, I, on the I personally kind of love it. I do. I do too. <laughs> I need to see all of it. God damn it! I'm, it's um, a very imaginative, if ridiculous, movie. Uh, there's a new Blu-ray out of it. I'll just. I should get it. You should. Um, it I might cut into my. It, again. it will cut into my watching Mandy again time, but. Uh, <laughs> Um, I have led so many people to that film too. I, I feel like, uh, uh, he's got it queued up on auto repeat. That's right. That's right. Um, uh, but anyway, so I, I, I have a, I have a short, uh, tiny yes. anecdote for Joe about my dad that he sure. might, uh, enjoyed. It's nothing major, but we went, we, we went, we went as a family and saw a matinee, mm. uh, at the AMC and, uh, in LA there and down in Century City. And, uh, after we came out, they were giving out the Cinus, uh, the what do they call them, the score, Cinus score cards. Yeah. And uh, my dad said, make sure to take one and give Joe an A so that uh, he gets a good Cinus score. <laughs> <laughs> That's nice. That's nice. Fantastic. <laughs> one of the one of the few theaters that it, it, people showed up at. Um, by the way, well, the very first movie I saw I when it. I moved to L.A., the first movie I saw at the Chinese, and I remember the enormous banner uh, was Cobra. Cobra. Right. Yes. I had never seen a movie poster that big in my life. It was, <laughs> it was phenomenal. Um, but here, let's, why don't we, why don't we roll our music and then we can get into our actual show if that's okay. Okay. Well, you won't hear do, any, do, do, you won't, you won't hear, hear any music. It's all done. It's, it's the magic of post-production. This is the movies that made me with your hosts, Josh Olson and Joe Dante. We're back. Uh, <laughs> we are here. It's such a thrill. If you haven't figured it out from the pre-show chatter um, with the uh, co-writer and director of easily one of my favorite movies of uh, 2018, um, the very great adaptation of my favorite Barry Manilow song. Um, Panos Cosmatos is here. The film is Mandy. And we're not going to talk about Mandy. We're going to talk about um, some of the movies that have made you into who you are, but Panos, thank you for coming on. It's such a thrill. It's really awesome to be here. I'm honored. It is. I, I, I mean, I've already said most of this. Oh, you know what I'm supposed to, I have a friend who's actually, uh, he's, he's thinking about leaving his wife for Mandy and I have to name check him. He's a wonderful heavy metal musician named Colin McCoy. And, um, uh, if I had told him we were recording this today, he'd be sitting next to me. He'd probably be naked. It would be very disturbing. So <laughs> for the film or for his, uh, uh, for the fictional character, uh, no, for the film, for the film. For the film. Oh, he okay. wants to leave his wife for the film. Um, yes. yeah, no, his wife, well, he'd never, there's no woman but who could that, replace that his I wife. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but anyway, thank you, sir. Um, and if you were here in LA, you'd appreciate we're having a very Canadian day. It's cold and wet as we record this. So. I'll bet it's colder and wetter here. <laughs> uh, but you have come to us prepared, I gather, with a, um, you want to talk about a, a genre that is near and dear to your heart? Sure, yeah, yeah. I, I, it's what I like to call the uh, futuristic fascist police state movie. <laughs> wow, okay. So movies that have and, nothing uh, to do with the world we live in today. Exactly. Correct. <laughs> Thank God we, you know, none of those those predictions came true, and we live in a, in a utopia. So it's it's you know that we can look back on them and, and with with a relief. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, <clears throat> exactly. Glad we missed that. 
Um, yeah. Well, shall we just dive right into it? Do you want to sure. start with yeah, your least sure. favorite favorite? My least favorite favorite? Uh, <laughs> he flummoxes people off, often by saying that. As, as, if, <laughs> as if whatever they're going to say oh, is something if, they like. Yes, if you've arranged them in order or just, <laughs> I don't know. No, I, I mean, uh, I would say I can't give you my least favorite favorite, but I'll just start. I, I would say that uh, one of my, uh, I think a prime uh, example of the genre would be uh, ZPG, Zero Population Growth. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Attention, all citizens. In unceasing efforts to find a solution to the devastating problem of overpopulation that the Earth can no longer sustain a continuously increasing population, childbearing is herewith forbidden. Shall be the gravest of crimes, punishable by death. Oliver Reed and uh, and Geraldine Chaplin and Don Taylor. Yeah, 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 and uh, yeah. I mean, that movie uh, it, it's it's actually quite disturbing because you know it takes place in a future where um, you know you're you're not allowed to have children anymore. It's very difficult to uh, to to get a license to have a child. So to like emotionally uh, uh, buffer the people who can't have have haven't been given the the, the uh, license to have a child they give them these robot toddlers and uh there's a there's a scene where you know the, the woman has like a, a panic attack or something and she she starts to freak out about the fact that their child is a robot she throws it on the ground and it's just lying there on its face saying uh mama 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 <laughs> <laughs> and uh another great thing about that film is that if you break the law they sort of hunt you down on the streets and, and cover you with a with a sort of hovercraft comes with a that's uh, carrying a dome and they lower it over you right and, uh, and so yeah it's it's a it's a spectacular movie I that's love, that's love very a very uh, seldom revived movie zpg yeah 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 i have the poster in, in storage and i gotta i gotta dig it out one day and put it up my wall where it belongs you know <laughs> did you I, <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure it's on video yeah it is actually there's a blu-ray that came out last year which was where i finally saw oh. it it, um, but it was one of those movies as a kid. I remember the poster freaked me out, and I'd always wanted to see it. And it was the kind of garbage my dad would normally take me to. I say garbage with great affection. Um, and somehow he didn't. Uh, but yeah, it's a, how, did you see it theatrically somehow or on TV? Or No, no. I, uh, I think I probably first saw it on VHS back in the in the 90s. It's probably oh. when I first saw it. Yeah. And t- yeah. It's, um, yeah. It is trippy um, and creepy and uh, very limited locations. One of those, yep. but, uh, um, yeah, fantastic and depressing film. It's a genre that I, that I really wish, I mean, I, it does still exist, you know, uh, in, in certain forms, you know, like I would say that, that, you know, like the purge is a futuristic fascist police state movie purge too, especially. Sure. Um, and, and I think, you know, there's a lot of young adult fiction that, that, that goes there oddly is, is sort of set in these futuristic fascist police states, but I, I'd like to see a return to the sort of hardcore R rated, uh, really, really terrifying futuristic fascist police state, especially now. You know. Well, I wonder. Yeah, I mean, well, uh, Children of Men. Children of Men was sort that of would, like that, and and nobody Absolutely. went. That's <laughs> no, a good picture. And it's a great film. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's got amazing film. filmmaking. Uh, but maybe, but it is interesting. I hadn't thought about it that way, but it's interesting. It's become the purview of of young adult fiction and films. Yeah, and, uh, I still don't understand how The Hunger Games gets to be a kids movie. That's um, well, I I couldn't understand how The Hunger Games was so able to rip off uh, the Japanese. Uh, yeah, Battle Royale. Battle Royale. I mean, Battle Royale had the misfortune of coming out around the time of one of our big school massacres. 
Right. And everybody right. was horrified by the idea of kids shooting kids and all that. And, and so the picture never got a dis any distribution at all in America. Uh, but a lot of people saw it. And The Hunger Games is such a blatant steal from it. Yeah. And yet it yeah. turned into this big franchise, which everybody's now mm -hmm. making tons of money off of. Whereas Battle Royale, which of which there have been a couple of other Battle Royale movies, um, never really caught on to the level of Hunger Games. I mean, Hunger Games is a, is a phenomenon. It's a Harry Potterish phenomenon. Yeah. I'm, I'm, well, you know, I'm, I, to, to be fair, I, you know, I don't think that Hunger Games two or sorry, Hunger Games <laughs> Battle Royale two wasn't as strong as uh, as, as as the first one. Oh, you for know? sure. Um, yeah. Yeah. But that, that first one is so perfect. It's... I would definitely be in favor of them bringing back Battle Royale and, and, and just continuing on that uh, that series indefinitely. <laughs> <laughs> or just doing it as a game show. Yeah. Where people really get real. killed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're getting Go ahead that. and make it. <laughs> well, do you think there's a reason why why kids fiction has taken on that role now and, and we as adults stay away from that? Well, yeah, I was going to say about the about battle royale. Instead of instead of shying away from it, maybe they should have taken a closer, harder look at it. You know, because yeah. you know, it's one away. You know, um, and maybe you know they were missing the point of that film entirely. But uh, I, I really gravitated towards that stuff as a kid. You know, like there was a there was a book called um, uh, "Devil on My Back." Mm -hmm. that, uh, that that strangely enough, this old lady that lived next door to, door to me, she she gave me she would give me science fiction books, and that was one of them. And, it, and it's a futuristic fascist police state book, and it really really resonated with me for some reason as a kid. I guess maybe when you're a kid, you feel out of control, you know, or you don't have control of your life, and and it sort of me uh, resonates metaphorically or something, you know. Well, sure, and and <clears throat> even more simply, I mean, your parents are a fascist police state, aren't they? When you're, <laughs> <laughs> you know. Exactly. <laughs> Who can't relate to that? <laughs> uh, uh, I, uh, I, I guess another uh, film in the, in the genre that I really love, uh, and I love it especially because it's kind of a hybrid, is uh, Conquest of the Planet of the Apes. Now, the biggest, the newest, the most exciting of all the Planet of the Apes pictures. Climaxed by the spectacular Revolt of the Apes. The most awesome, the most horrifying spectacle in the annals of science fiction. First pampered as pets, then abused as servants, now oppressed as slaves. Which is both a Planet of the Apes film and a futuristic fascist police state movie. Yeah. I gotta come up with an acronym or something for that. But. <laughs> um, yeah, and it was filmed on uh, Century City, right by where where my dad lived uh, in one of those condos, and uh, so I would always delight to go down there and go to that bridge and stuff like that, and in that mall the way it used to be back in the back in the day when it was still in the uh, conquest style, you know. Right. Oh, so you grew up around that. Is that around where? Around Century. I mean, you grew up when Century City looked like that. You were here. Well, yeah, I grew up in Victoria, uh, BC, okay. Canada, but but uh, my dad had a condo in, uh, in Century City. Well, that was when Century City really did look like the future. I mean, yeah. uh, there wasn't a lot of other stuff around it. There was just these big, tall buildings and this cool bridge, and, and it, it was like the, the go-to place for futuristic stuff. I mean, Roger even used it in Death Race 2000. Right. I uh, I was very I was one of the few people on on, on Earth that probably got 
sad when they when they uh, when they refurbished it. <laughs> no, I'm, I, oh, I'm, I'm, with, I'm you. with you. Uh, yeah, it, it it still looked like that when I moved here in the '80s, yeah, and it was such an amazing thing having grown up on all those films. It's completely soulless. Now. Yeah, but to suddenly realize, yeah. here I am, I'm in the future. It's, uh, yeah, Conquest is and and the best Planet of the Apes movie, I'd say, at least of the sequels. No, Escape from the Planet of the Apes. The best <sighs> I, I, I like Conquest. It's, I have to disagree. I, Conquest is my is, is by far my favorite of all of them, but maybe it's just because of the <laughs> futuristic fascist police state tie-in. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's it's definitely the darkest. also it's about Ricardo Montalban, which which I mean, so does uh, Escape. Also, you, Escape is the one you said. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's a pretty good it's one. It's the one right before. Yeah, I was got time uh, more time actual actual time travel in it. I'm not, yeah, remember. it's, it, yeah. It, it's a it's yeah. a very clever way of getting around the fact that they blew up the entire <laughs> Earth in the previous picture. <laughs> but I really Conquest is so amazing because first of all, it's got Ricardo Montalban in it again, and this time instead of being you know kind of a, a, a comic relief character, he's actually like dead serious the whole time. Yeah, and it's glorious when 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 Montalban is uh is deadpan. Yeah. And, and then uh, they also, uh, there's a scene in it that really, really resi- uh, that I love a lot is when they torture uh, Ricardo Montalban in this like interrogation chamber. And, the, and they have some kind of futuristic device that's supposed to like scan his mind or, or cause him pain. And it's just like a light. It's just a lamp. It's like on a, on a dimmer. It's going up and down, up and down with this amazing sound effect. And that actually kind of really inspired me. And it was actually the key inspiration in Black Rainbow for the whole pyramid suppressor thing was this this torture scene in, in conquest of the planet of the apes oh nice nice and there's a there's a star trek episode as well where they where they torture uh kirk uh, uh with this like a uh, lamp that, that, uh, that i love as well <laughs> oh right that, that it digs into his brain or something though right the yeah. Yeah, yeah 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 uh exorcist, exorcist 2 has a similar device does it really <laughs> yes Kidding me? Yeah, it's just, a, <laughs> it's just a flashing lamp, you know, and it sends everybody into paroxysm. Say, Fanos Cosmatos, what do you think of Exorcist Two? <laughs> yeah, I love it from the bottom of my heart. Damn, damn it! <laughs> no, I'm not going to get any press out of that. I know. Wrap it up and go home. <laughs> um, nice. But Con- Conquest is just—it's also—it's it, the darkest of the series too. It's, um, I, I, yeah, that one—that one always felt different to me, and I've always loved it the most. Uh, I mean, there's moments in the others. I know um, Dana Gould, who was an early guest on our show, would probably get into a fight with all of us. He maintains <laughs> the first one is the greatest movie ever made and cannot be topped. But um, yeah, I, Conquest just had this kind of militant edge to it that was uh, kind of yeah. Charming. And great casting, and, and there's this amazing line where the the, the sort of main uh, antagonist says, uh, uh, "I'm having a comprehensive list compiled of offender apes." <laughs> <laughs> I just love that sort of game where it's kind of villain, you know. <laughs> Round up the usual suspect apes. <laughs> yeah. Ah, that's great. That's great. Um, no, I'm glad you mentioned that because the instant you told me what the subject was, I started thinking about Century City and um, yeah. an excuse to talk about that. <laughs> For those of you who don't live in California, Century City is uh, across from, it used to be the back lot of 20th Century Fox. And when Fox uh, went belly up after Cleopatra and they sold all the land, they built this sort of futuristic pile of buildings that sort of go up to the 
to the to the sky, and there was nothing much around them, which made it particularly eerie. Yep. And then they dropped the Nakatomi Towers right in the middle of it, so mm. it had this kind of yeah. Uh, yeah. And 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 I think it's the Marriott next door was used in uh, in um, uh, Lethal Weapon Two. Oh, that makes sense. Sure. When they jump out of the out of mm-hmm. the hotel window into the yeah. pool, and also in uh, Harley Davidson and the Marlboro Man. Oh, deep cuts. Well, we have to yeah, do, we I, have to do a whole show just on locations now. <laughs> <laughs> locations that you can still see in Hollywood that were used in famous movies. I don't know. Maybe a whole episode on Harley Davidson and the Marlboro Man would be. Uh, <laughs> that that is the first time that film has come up in anything we have recorded. <laughs> Yeah, maybe the last. <laughs> God, I hope not. There's a bit of a, a slight edge of a futuristic fascist police state in that film, but but not really, not really. Is it? Well, what's the? Uh, wait a minute. Now I'm thinking about it. it we, one of them is a cop, right? I actually don't remember. To be honest, I don't remember you. either. I don't. I just remember what they. I just remember their outfits. Yeah, the outfits. <laughs> yes. <laughs> now, now I have to go watch I it again. The, and the villains, uh, the outfits the villains wore were these weird kind of like uh, almost like Harkonnen uh, bulletproof jackets <laughs> that went right. down to their down right. to their ankles. Yeah, <laughs> oh, I still get a thrill every time I see like uh, Avenue of the Stars in a movie. You know, or, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, what's next, sir? What have you got for us? I guess uh, the next one would be uh, Soylent Green, New York City. 50 years from today, nothing runs, nothing works. They gave me a quarter of a kilo. But people are the same. And people will do anything to get what they need. What they need most is Soylent Green. I mean, that's, that's, you know, in a way that maybe that was the first futuristic fascist police state movie I saw. and, And it's definitely you know, a key one in the genre, in my opinion. Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, I, Joe, yeah. off the top of your head, I, I'm th- like, what, what predates that? That feels like well, a genre. There's a, there's a TV movie called Shadow on the Land uh, that um, is, a, is a fascist police state a movie where the president uh, is not a good guy. Um, and um, the there's an underground of people who are trying to resist the government and they're, they're being rounded up. It was a, uh, an ABC movie of the week um, with uh, Gene Hackman was in it, but I don't think he had a major part. Uh, I think Jackie Cooper was the lead. Um, anyway, it was, it's a, uh, John Forsyth was the lead. It, it was, it's, a, it's a pretty interesting movie. It's very hard to find, but if you look it up on IMDb, it's got a very interesting synopsis. I definitely remakeable. But I, I feel like it's a but, genre. Sorry, green? Huh? Oh, no, the TV so, movie. Green? No, oh, the the Shadow on the Land. Right, yeah, of course. <laughs> Soylent, yeah, I saw Soylent Green as a small child when it came out, and just so much of that. It's a really powerful film. Um, you know, there I, are actually Soylent products now. I know, I, I keep, but they don't seem to be aware of the... They don't seem to be aware of the fact that they're supposed to be human yeah, it's, DNA in there. Yeah, that's not a good idea for a. <laughs> I, re- I read an interview with the guy who created it, who started the Soylent Company, and he seemed to be, to me, to be maybe a sociopath. <laughs> I, I, th- I think he seemed might be aware to be of maybe. It, yes. <laughs> quietly to himself, he's aware. <laughs> Did he seem aware of the movie? Was that? Uh... No, not at all. 
Not at all. It, was ne- it never came up, but just the sort of tone. And, <laughs> so and where, did the the, where did they get the? Where did they get the you... name Soylent? Which yeah, is, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm positive he took it from from the movie, but he just doesn't like he he, he play you know he pretends that he doesn't know what that is. <laughs> Maybe he uh, never saw all of it. <laughs> Maybe he didn't get to the yeah. end. <laughs> didn't get to the end. <laughs> <laughs> I got to be honest with you. I, I bought a bottle of Soylent once because uh, I had to try. <laughs> to try it. And it was disgusting, but <laughs> have a strange pork-like flavor to it, or Does this long thing, pig. Uh, I think they call it a long pig. <laughs> I got. I remember years ago getting a call. It was the strangest. They, some it was a studio thing. They were looking to remake Soylent Green, and what a, what a good idea. And the only reason I went in is I had this thing I was working on that I kept pulling on the threads, and the threads always ended at. We're feeding people to people. The end of Soylent Green was the perfect ending, and I couldn't just steal that. And I thought, oh, maybe I can sell them my thing and then build it into. And I went off, and the one thing they were absolutely committed to, they felt, was that they had to come up with a better twist ending. (laughs) There's literally no better twist ending in the history of film. Wow. That's mind-blowing. Yeah, that's movies for you. <laughs> but, you know, if you've got one, I think that job's still open. So uh. <laughs> It's a good movie. It's I, I actually saw, recently saw it at some festival. It was, I think in Europe they programmed it and asked me to to introduce it. And uh, the, the interesting thing today about the movie is that because it was made entirely on the MGM backlot, uh, it... It doesn't exactly ooze verisimilitude, you know. It, it it looks it looks pretty much like what it is, and yet the images of the uh, of the dumpsters with people, oh, with crowds, people and uh, is it's very you know World War Two and and uh, Cambodian and it, it's just it 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 just conjures up a lot of really scary stuff, and and it is a, it is a very slick. And kind of empty looking movie because it's a it's an MGM picture from that period where James Aubrey was just you know stealing all the money, um, but um, it, it even when you know the ending, uh, it's a very satisfying picture. Yeah, yeah, it's a, yeah. It, it has a grimy feeling to to it as well, like in the in the in the sort of hovels where a lot of them live. Yeah, a lot um, of dust. They really went for the hard sell with that poster too of the of the of the the crabs are they called the dump trucks? Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, the the poster is literally just like a a, a paint, uh, an amazing illustration of people just being scooped up by the dump trucks. Uh, it's, it's gorgeous, but and, I, I, yeah. And some of that I image wish. as a kid of the of the dump truck when it one of them comes down and squashes a guy mm-hmm. was. Mm-hmm horrifying to me as a kid in a way that so many other things weren't. I mean, I'd seen, you know, I'd seen the Cyclops ripping little miniature guys in half and thought that was great. But there was something about the fact that this was theoretically the country I lived in. And it didn't seem completely and utterly implausible that this could be the place I grow up to live in mm. was, mm-hmm. was really disturbing. <clears throat> Is that Ulysses, the, the Cyclops movie? Uh, no, which, which, um, which one is the Cyclops? Oh, the Harry there's, there's one. Oh, oh, you, uh, uh, Sinbad. 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 Oh, I, I, I'm yeah. with you. I saw the Ulysses one too. Uh, it was with right. Kirk Douglas, and I saw. It oh, when, yeah. I saw it when I was a kid, and I didn't really know from special effects, but I was, I couldn't figure out how they built such an amazing Cyclops automaton, uh, which of course yeah. was just, a, <laughs> just a guy with a fake eye who was, right. you know, blown up. Uh, but I just was I, fascinated that how did they get the skin like that. <laughs> I was uh, I was 
was just learning. I was just just figuring <laughs> it out. We went and saw that in Mexico, weirdly, in a second run house uh, in the uh, like 1980 or something like that, and and I, yeah, I fell in love with it the, when they they blind him with that uh, sharpened log. Oh, yeah. yeah, that's pretty good. That's completely off topic of uh, futuristic facts, police state movies. Um, there's a and there's some. I mean, as far as uh, Soylent Green goes, there's like some amazing. Uh, uh, Heston moments in it because I, I'm a, a huge, you know, uh, uh, admirer of the sort of very juicy Heston uh, teeth clenching, you know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and I, I mean, he's a he's a as a as a star, he loved to, to suffer and be martyred, you know. <laughs> well, at, at the end of Omega Man, he's actually he's he's in this whole Christ pose at the end. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Literally in the Christ pose. I think we've talked about this a little. Too. It's also interesting that he's. In that era, he's in three of the most kind of overtly ideologically lefty science fiction movies of all time, and he doesn't seem. Well, th- he was he was lefty uh, up to a point. I mean, he was certainly big on civil rights, and he was sure. you know before he became uh, an NRA spokesman and and you know went down that road. He was. Uh, he, he I think he when you read his books and stuff. I mean, he considered himself uh, a progressive. Yeah. It's just, he it's, went so far left, he circled around and came back on the right. Yeah. <laughs> it's just one of my favorite images of all time is Charlton Heston sitting in that movie theater and Omega Man lip-syncing to Woodstock. It's, uh, right. Yes, exactly. <laughs> That's what he watches alone. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. There's an amazing scene in, uh, in, um, in Omega, uh, sorry, in uh, Soil and Green where, where, I, where uh, Heston beats the shit out of, I think it's Jim Connors. Chuck Connors. Chuck Connors, yeah. Chuck Connors, yeah, sorry. And, uh, you know, uh, he's like, the thing he's really, like, hammering on, too, is that, is that uh, the guy's got strawberries. Yeah. And, and strawberries are super <laughs> hard to come by. And I almost feel ashamed to this day every time I eat strawberries, you know, because he's like, the Soylent Buyers strawberries. <laughs> and I'm like, every time I buy strawberries, I'm just like, oh, I'm such a bourgeois piece of shit. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> Heston's like yelling at me in my mind. <laughs> I gotta say, the few times in my life I found it necessary to put a neckerchief on, I always flash on that movie. <laughs> it's right, it's a neckerchief movie. Oh my god! And Which really movie. sells the hot and sweatiness of it. It's funny, Joe, when you said that. I thought <laughs> about the, the the staginess of it all. It's like it never read that way to me as a kid. It always read to me as very real, except for maybe some of those night scenes where people are sleeping on the streets. Those felt like a back lot. But, well, um, it's hard to get away from the back lot when you're yeah. on the back lot. You yeah, know? it's it's you you can you can hide. They they also do some tricks with uh, laying over uh, green colors and uh, some soot and stuff that's all optical. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, they tried hard, but uh, I don't think there was a lot of money. Yeah. <laughs> to make that picture. Well, Not to mention, it has that incredible uh, montage at the beginning. That's actually kind of reminds me a little bit of that crazy montage that they show to. Um, um, Warren Beatty and um, Parallax, yeah, yeah, Parallax, yeah, similar kind of feeling to them, yeah. And then, and then also the, the scene later in the film um, where his 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 old friend goes to uh, commit assisted suicide, and they have these like pavilions where you where you di- go to die, you so choose, and, and he lies down in this weird like dome, white dome chamber, and they play this like soothing yeah. aerial footage of like fields and stuff like that, you know. 
stuff oh. that he can't see. But I, it's 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 added poignancy that uh, Edward G. Robinson knew that he was dying when he shot that scene. Oh, and, wow! Uh, I did not know that. Yeah, he had cancer, and uh, oh, it was he knew he knew it was going to be his last movie. Wow! Wow! I, I, I Fantastic! Final scene. Yeah, because some of those scenes too with the old uh, what do they call them? The books. Mm-hmm. See him and a bunch of other old actors getting together have a real weight to them as well. Um, yeah, that movie's better than it needed to be. We are. <laughs> when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Uh, what else you got for us, Bayless? Uh, how about uh, THX 1138? All Earth Council, in its infinite wisdom, has decided these two numbers are to be disposed of. The Biochemical Forum has demands to make on their parts, however, before they are eliminated. That's the kind of efficiency that makes you proud to live in this era. Which version? <laughs> which version? <laughs> well, I I do have something to say about that, which is, you know, I I'm not a fan of the uh, special editions of Star Wars, um, but I'm, don't, I'm not going to go into that right now because I will literally just go on a crazy, sweaty rant for like six and a half hours, <laughs> and I literally won't be able to stop myself. <laughs> I kind of like the changes to uh to THX, to be honest. I, 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 I feel like like uh, not not all of them are perfect, but I, I feel like they kind of expand and, and refine the aesthetic of it without sort of detracting from it too much. With a couple of exceptions, like when he goes into the cars, showing the, the highways and stuff from a grander view, I feel kind of detracts from the the um, claustrophobia of that world. But other than that, I, I, I kind of like the strange little changes he made, like uh, making the blowjob robot more more uh, <laughs> cartoonish, is like weirdly effective in that in, the, in this context and uh and strange small things like when he goes to turn uh he tries to turn in uh um donald pleasance and he goes and puts the card in the in that in that box and now it's got like a weird like beeping light mechanism on top of it and it's like more bizarre i don't know i, I dig it i dig it. I, I like it I, I have not seen the new version. Oh well, it's, <clears> it's, <throat> it's it's I think it's the only version you can see at the moment figures, uh, because yeah. that's George. You know, he once he once he messes with something, he doesn't want you to go back and be able to see the way it used to look. Did he re-edit it too, or is it? Uh, just... It's it's re-edited somewhat. Yeah, okay. but uh, yeah. I I encountered it first when it was his uh, USC student film, which is called Electronic Labyrinth, uh, which is remarkably similar, although much shorter than uh, than uh, the feature, and. Uh, we were all very excited because that was one of the one of the best student shorts that anybody had ever seen, and uh, when and that's the first time I ever heard his name, and then when we found out that the guy who made that short was getting to make a feature version of it, um, it was inexplicable to us because it was so uncommercial. Yeah. <laughs> so why would he why would he want to do that? Um, but and, and of course, uh, you know, he they, I guess it was Coppola gave him some money and and. Uh, they they made this picture and Warner Brothers was completely flummoxed as to what it was and how to sell it and everything. Never nobody 
went to see it. But then after he hit with American Graffiti, then suddenly there was renewed interest in, in THX. And over the years, it's become um, much better known. And I, I don't, I'm not sure that most of the people who see the current version are aware that there even was an earlier version. Yeah, yeah. I mean, for the most part, it's fairly subtle. And yeah, if you weren't familiar with the old version, some people might not even not might not even uh, re register that those are changes. You know, um, I feel like it's it's aesthetically the most beautiful futuristic fascist police state movie ever made for sure. <laughs> Um, you know, I, I, there's a, there's an aesthetic to it, in, 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 to, to THX 1138 and, uh, and Star Wars as, that carries over to some scenes in Star Wars that is so refined and so photographically aware. It's, you know, I, I really love the, the, the sort of, uh, the aesthetic that he brought to films at the time. It was like, it was so forward thinking and so modern um you know his use of long lenses and and his 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 framing is so uh photographic and beautiful you know and his use of like macro close-ups and 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 you know uh, uh racking focus along like machines and things like that is just like just uh, it's stunningly beautiful well he doesn't usually get credit but he's actually a master of widescreen and yeah uh, you know nobody ever says anything about that but you know the aesthetic is all the all the movies he did were scope, and they yeah. they were all very carefully uh, yeah. planned. Not to mention his use of sound in that film, uh, you know, which carries again into in a more sort of like delightful way in Star Wars. But it's like I, I, it's it's so uh, beyond anything anybody else was doing, you know, at the time. Um, there's a, there's a strange short, short film that he made about, about radio towers or something like that. Uh, I, I wish I could remember the name of it, That again, it carries that aesthetic. It has these beautifully composed kind of shallow focus images and, and this incredibly dense kind of strange, uh, soundscape to it. What, what do, and Joe, you too, like what, I remember reading an interview with him years and years and years ago. And he said, and he, I see him say this a couple of times that if he ever made you know, so much money he didn't care anymore. He would just make movies that would please him and they'd be completely incomprehensible to everybody else. Well, I think and he tried that. What, Did you ever see Radio Land Murders? Was that Lucas? Yeah. I'm completely, really? <laughs> okay, fine. Well, the, I, but, he, but, just, but he just produced he it. Just yeah, produced he, didn't, it. He didn't, I mean, what, yeah. what happened to that guy? I wonder. Uh, I don't. I don't know the guy personally. Um, no, I'm just saying, sort of, you know, guesses. He from... did. Uh, Stephen Stephen did bring him to the uh, the preview of uh, Gremlins in San Diego, and uh, afterward uh, they huddled together, and George gave Stephen notes. Ah, <laughs> any good ones? I don't. I don't know. <laughs> um, well, that's yeah. That's another. Uh, tonally THX is kind of, um, uh, there's a very, what's, I'm, 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 help me out. It's got a kind of, there's a frightening sterility to it. Well, it's okay, rigorous. Okay. Yeah, and, and, and half the time there's nothing on the screen, but the actors, I mean, is yeah. big, it's got this great big white void sequence. Yeah. Yeah. Where, you know, only Don I'm Pedro Colley stands out. <laughs> it's, it's a lonely film. And the sort of the sort of psychic horror of it too, you know, like when when uh, when uh, Donald Pleasance, for, for whatever reason, becomes fixated on Robert Duvall and kind of tries to destroy his life, 
uh, in order to sort of possess him. It's like this weird personal kind of like uh, uh, um, uh, manifestation of the of what's possible in the futuristic fascist police state, you know, right. uh, where where there's no empathy and nobody there to, to talk to or help you. And also, the, I really connected with the way that he sort of uh, presented religion as still being this strange, hollow artifact that's like a hologram almost in the in this like desolate mall world you know and you go and mm. talk to this uh ro- literally like an artificial uh priest who's like a flickering like uh you know uh, he looks like uh it looks like a uh like an icon or or uh you know the shroud even you know but it's right. like a backlit advertisement you know yeah yeah <laughs> it's glorious <laughs> <laughs> jesus these are Pressing visions. Well, it's the future. <laughs> I expect <laughs> the future. That's not depressing. <laughs> it's where we're headed. Don't worry about yeah. it. Yeah, <laughs> we're we're in it now. Apparently, we are. Yeah. Uh, I suppose another another one would be uh, Rollerball. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, which again has that has this amazing kind of like uh, counterculture. Uh, of all of the futuristic fascist police state movies, I think it's the one that has the most overt kind of uh, counterculture message. I guess you could argue that that uh, THX does too, but it's such a bizarre, uh, you know, overwhelming mood piece, and and that you know, I, I think, and I'm, because it's so hyper modern in, in its style and in its uh, um, tone, you know, it's hard to connect. It's, it, and to its credit, you know, you can't really connect it to the time it was it was made that uh, that easily. Um, yeah, but for sure. Rollerball, but Rollerball has this sort of, uh, you know, uh, hyper awareness of, of the time period it was made in and, and the, the sort of uh, uh, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, contempt for the ruling class. <laughs> um, it's strange watching it now it, because it actually in many ways feels like a movie about the present, uh, which because of the, it's heavy, like rootedness into that era, you wouldn't expect, but, but the, the, the way it deals with like superstar athletes being sort of like, uh, taken to a God status and, and treated like royalty is, is right. really interesting. Well, that, uh, that begat uh, death race 2000, which is right. essentially the same story. Uh, right. Because all of the character, yep. all the characters are athletes and they're all stars. And yep. it's all a big show, um, yeah. And and the president is very Trumpian. Uh, he's like he's a, a he says he, he holds up his hand and he says, "Once more, I give you what you want." And then, <laughs> and then these car, these wow. crazy cars come out yeah. and uh, you know run people over for for points. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> That, that movie was kind of like the Holy Grail when I was when I was when I was quite young because of that that whole aspect of it. But you know, when you're easily amused, that was like beautiful sort of early example of uh, being exposed to uh, to black humor. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, and uh, yeah, yeah, that's true. I remember uh, uh, first getting to see Death Race and realizing how funny it was intentionally. Yeah, and and. You're right, because at, at an early age, you don't expect a movie about 
cars that run people over to be absolutely hilarious. Well, that's, there was some uh, tension between uh, Paul Bartel, the director, and Roger Corman, the producer, uh, because I wonder which one of them went which way. Well, I think it's pretty apparent <laughs> that that Roger wanted an action picture, right. and Paul didn't feel that you could do that particular piece of material without humor. And it was also written by, co-written by Chuck Griffith, who was writing a lot of Roger's hipper stuff. Uh, and so I was around while the picture was being edited and there were, there were whole scenes that build up to punchlines that were dropped. Oh. So it makes it seem very odd. Uh, but there's, there's still a lot of stuff that remains in the movie. That's really oh, very, yeah. very funny and very dark. That's interesting because yeah, I remember when I, when I first saw it as a kid my, on the first viewing, I was actually just kind of like horrified and traumatized by it initially like when they were running over people in wheelchairs and old ladies and you, stuff like that. Euthanasia days, day at the old folks' home. <laughs> right, yeah, exactly. <laughs> oddly, like, oddly, the first time I saw it, I, I, like, the humor didn't click with me. I was just, like, overwhelmed with, like, with horror. I was like, this is horrifying. They're killing these innocent people, and they're getting points for it. And I just connected with it in a dead, deadpan, completely humorless way for some reason. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, mm. then, then when I watched it again, I start, you know, I started to sort of a tune in. I, I, I was aware for the first time, obviously, that it was funny, but I but I guess I just didn't connect with the humor well, the first time. The, the real Don Steele is uh, on another planet in that picture. I mean, his performance is, is he's so broad that it's it's it's, it's, a, it's a phenomenon. I mean, I I, yeah. I, 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 I tried to use Don in other pictures because he was just such a funny guy, but he was a local disc jockey who was uh, right. Who right. plays this uh, uh, announcer who is... Um, just so over the top. Well, then he ends up in uh, Rock and Roll High School, right? And he's in Rock and Roll yeah, High School. Yeah. yeah. But but to get back to sorry, to to like Rollerball in that era, there does seem to be that era of a few years in the seventies, where and not just genre films. I mean, you look at Network, where there were clearly there was a moment in time where you could see the future. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Because all of these films kind of predict a world that you know we they are now living in. Yeah. And that's that's disturbing. I wish there was more more film that was being made that that, that was you know uh, in its own way overtly political and kind of speaking truth to power. But it feels very very everything feels very. I mean, with some exceptions, obviously, but it, overall everything feels very toned down and, and like sublimated. Like people are afraid to deal with it head on or something like that. Yeah, for uh, sure. Like I remember during during the uh, the. Uh, 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 w administration, you know, where it felt like this is like the seeding ground for a new punk rock movement or something where people are like losing it and nothing really fucking happened. You know, like nobody really reacted to everybody just kind of sat quietly and that really surprised me. But I do feel like, like, like Trump is overt enough and divisive enough that, that, uh, and, and terrifying enough. Maybe that's the key word that, uh, but it's sort of, I feel like it, you can feel it brewing and, and already kind of manifesting. In, in art. In, yeah, I, I, yeah, I hope. I mean, I've seen, you know, the only other movie um, that that uh, hit me as much and for very different reasons, but um, this past year was uh, Sorry to Bother You, which is, is yeah. very political. Um, yeah. And, yeah. And overtly so. And I think one of the best pictures of the year. Yeah. Uh, it, it's a movie that you think is going to be one kind of movie, and then for a little while it is that movie. And then it becomes a whole different kind of movie that you couldn't even have predicted that it would become. And then it proceeds to build on that so that everything that happens, is it's like constantly topping itself. 
And this is from a, a first-time filmmaker. I mean, yeah. it's 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 quite a, an achievement, I think. Yeah, absolutely. You, and Black Klansman as well, uh, in the sense that, it, that, that at the end of the film, you know, I mean, it, it's like people need to be reminded of the past constantly or they forget the, the sort of darkness of it, you know? Yeah, yeah. And yeah, the ending the of that past, movie is incredible. Even the recent past. Yep. You know, when he, when he shows that stuff that happened in Charlottesville uh, with a woman being run over and... In footage it, I've never seen anywhere else. Yeah. I don't know where it came yeah. from. But. I, it, it's like... Um, that happened so recently, and it feels like people have already forgotten it happened. You know what I mean? And, and, well, that's, and, and that's for some reason, reason, that's the new time frame we're living in. Right? Yeah, yeah. And it, even though it's horrifying, it didn't really fully register with me how horrifying that incident was until I saw it in the context of a film. I mean, maybe that's maybe that's the power of film, you know? Well, I think so. And and and, and also the, the 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 story that Black Klansman is based on, which is a true story, is so absurd that. Yeah. <laughs> Apparently, when 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 Spike Lee was first asked about it, he said, "You're telling me this is real, right?" Because he just, he, just <laughs> he thought nobody would buy it if it hadn't actually happened, and and that's a, a, a I think the source of one of the most entertaining things about the movie, which is it's yeah. aware of its own absurdity, uh, and yet it's still a, a serious movie, and and that's and I think that just builds you up so that when you get to the end of the picture and you see that montage, it's so devastating because of what you've yeah. just been through. Yeah, absolutely. That'd be funny if we just start talking about like random films that were released this year. Well, because we, we don't, live in a future. we don't usually stick to our, <laughs> yeah, our mandate here. <laughs> so technically because a film was made in the present, it's, it, it's a futuristic fascist police team. <laughs> that's right. So that's you're right. still on topic. That's, that's right. Do do you feel any kind of uh, urge or who knows if you're already doing that uh, to, to, um, uh, get get into anything kind of more overtly political in your work sure i mean in my own way i feel like like there are are sort of sort of abstracted political elements uh, in mandy especially mm -hmm. um but uh yeah i i, I kind of like towing that line where where it's it's so abstracted that 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 uh, you know, it doesn't become a message film necessarily, sure. you know, but, but it's there and, and it, it will resonate with, with, with people. I, I hope in almost like a subliminal way or. I mean, there's certainly aspects to, um, uh, to Lennis Roach's character and his, his behavior huh. towards and relationship, um, with, yeah. uh, with, with Mandy, especially that, that really, um, while, while it's universal man, woman stuff, it certainly seems timely as well without getting too yeah. specific, but, um, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's funny. I started writing that film so long ago and then, uh, and then the world started to become more like it. And when <laughs> I think Trump went into office right before we started film, like not too long before we started filming. And, uh, I remember thinking to myself, this character is essentially, uh, if you put Trump and Pence into the, into the Brundle telepod, right. We'll come out the other side. And, uh, <laughs> he has, aspects of both of them you know uh yeah although he's got a um uh, i would say uh, uh, he's a tad more um, well read let's say than uh, those two gentlemen uh, <laughs> maybe <laughs> <laughs> a little bit a little bit I, I, i'm not convinced that jeremiah sand ever read a book <laughs> <laughs> uh actually as long as we're on it i i promised myself i'd do this and we'll get back to uh the hellscape of the future but 
Um, I was just talking to Don, our engineer. My my wife, you know, you get into these relationships, there are certain concessions one makes. And the, the toughest one about mine is that my wife does not enjoy horror films. Um, right. She will, under very certain circumstances, see them. And I probably made the mistake of selling Mandy to her as a horror film before I had seen it. So she's kind of not not interested. And I'm convinced that if she at least sat through the first half hour or so, uh, it might lure her into the rest because it's so powerfully romantic and just this beautiful portrait of a relationship. What, what would you say to, uh, <laughs> we dealt with this on history of violence too, because women stayed away from it because of the title, but then they saw the film and they all were very, you know, they liked it. What, what would you say to a woman who is, or to anyone who might be put off from seeing Mandy because of what it appears to be on the surface? Gee, I, it's not really my, my personality to try to convince people to watch something they don't want to watch. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> <I'll> fine. <laughs> but uh, I don't know. I, I, I don't think of it as a horror film. I think of it as a as a fantasy film and a, and a kind of a rock opera, you know? There you go. Okay. Yeah. Um, and it has horror, grotesque elements in it. But, you know, I, you know it's, I feel like the, the the violence in the film to me feels like something out of like, you know, out of a uh, Hawk the Slayer or something like that, you know, like right. it's, 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 the whole film is kind of a fantasy realm, not, not a hardcore horror film. Although, you know, I, as, as I start remembering scenes from the film, I'm like, yeah, I, I'm basically lying right now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to cut out after you say rock opera and see if that works on it. <laughs> But uh, anyway, no, thank you. <laughs> Just delete the rest. Yeah. Um, no, he meant it, honey. Uh, so what's what's next on your list here? Speaking speaking of wives, uh, I really have to go give a lot of credit to my to my wife because when we went in to sort of rewrite that the film uh, at a certain point or you know polish it, you know, she said this the scene with with, uh, with her and Jeremiah is an opportunity to do something really really amazing about the way. Oh God, yeah. Have. Yeah, that scene's incredible. And, and I think that combined with, with what was happening with Trump, you know, just crystallized a lot of stuff, uh, you know, in our, in our mind. Anyways. Have you seen, by the way, that, that there's that amazing illustration that was going around of him before the election that keeps popping up now of uh, the full frontal nude portrait of Donald Trump. That. Um, uh, why, why would I even admit to say that? <laughs> <laughs> It's kind of horrifying. It's kind of horrifying. But I, I kept thinking of that during the, the scene we're discussing. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, although Linus Roach is much better endowed. Then. Um, <laughs> what's, what's, what's next on our future hellscape? Uh, I think we have to, we have to mention uh, Escape from New York. Oh, yeah. Yes. Um, um, but not Escape from L.A. Oh yeah, yeah. That's that one's it. fun. You don't like Escape from LA? Not, I mean, not, with, not my, not my favorite. No, no, no. no. But no. I would say the best thing about Escape from LA is Cliff Robertson and the president character. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I wish there had been more of him in the film. You know, um, I, I don't know. I'm a, I'm a, I'm kind of a fan of goofy, ridiculous sequels that don't even try to tap into the appeal of first film yeah of course (laughs) (laughs) that goes without saying man yeah no absolutely i um have you ever seen the sequel to gremlins because that one's kind of uh of course i have it's mind-blowing 
I think it, it might be one of the first big studio uh, like meta films, if I'm not mistaken. It's, and maybe the last. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, the awesome thing about uh, yeah about about, uh, about Gremlins too is that exactly what you're saying, which is that it it, it lives entirely in its own world, yeah, you know, <laughs> and, and stylistically from the original, which I miss, you know, because now I think it started with I guess starting with Lord of the Rings, they really got into this sort of uh, sort of uh, habit of, 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 of you know people expect every sequel to feel and look exactly like. And, exactly like the, the one that preceded it more like television episodes you know and, yeah. and I, I love a like what like Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom where it's you know more more colorful and more bizarre and more more of a horror film you know I, I love that yeah I, I remember the time thinking about just the people who had come to Gremlins to expecting that oh they got Gremlins didn't they they got Gremlins <laughs> That movie made me so happy, but I yeah I'm with you. I like Escape from LA. Not to compare it to Gremlins too, not at all. But but and uh, Gremlins too has uh, has Clamp, yes, which is a Trump play character. Yes, I, right. know. I have a lot to answer for. Yes, <laughs> ours is much nicer though because he is also based on Ted Turner. <laughs> yeah, he's got much to account for. As well. But Escape from New York has uh, yes, a great no. cast. Yes, indeed it does. Um. I, well, I think I think you could I, I I think like you need to talk about Escape from New York in conjunction with Escape from L.A. when it comes to the futuristic fascist police state film, because yes, there are like overt futuristic fascist police state elements in uh, Escape from New York, no question. But in that film, the president is seen as a sort of hapless uh, idiot, right? Whereas in Escape from L.A., he's presented as like a very malevolent. Uh, the president is a very malevolent, politically driven figure who, like, wants you know, uh, you know, uh, every you know, all, all undesirables to be put on on the island uh, that they can't escape from. And he has himself, you know, he's heavily religious and and has uh, instigated laws like 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 uh, like eating meat is illegal. Right. It's funny the weird libertarian kind of john carpenter libertarian crossover where it's like <laughs> is it left is it right i don't even know like, <laughs> because it's all about freedom or something but uh well they live know. i think is a much better uh, version yeah. of that mm. yeah yeah absolutely except absolutely. except for the 20 minute fight scene in the alley i love that which could be shorter <laughs> <laughs> I love the fact that nobody's bruised in it for all the throwing into concrete they do and brick walls. There's not a, I got to say that that scene uh, blew my mind as a teenager. It, we were really, we, me and my, my, my close friends were like really kind of like obsessed with straight, what we call black hole jokes, which were jokes that started out and then just kept going. And after a while they stopped being funny <laughs> and they keep going and going and yes, going. And exactly. Funnier than they ever were. And to us, <laughs> The fact that John Carpenter put like a a, a black, essentially a black hole joke as a fight scene into into a, like a, a, a film was just kind of uh, stunning and awe inspiring to us. You know, <laughs> I agree entirely. That that fight scene is better at eight minutes than it would have been at. Uh... <laughs> I, I would prefer if it was like forty five minutes long. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe the director's cut. Yes, uh, the, the Russian version. I don't know. We can hope. I went and saw some Russian. Yeah, that's, uh, yeah, I was going to heavily digress there. I'm sorry. Quite all right. 
You went and the show. Oh, is, no, do please. The show is just one big digression. Yes, yes. We, we insist. <laughs> now you have to. I just had a memory of going and seeing some Russian film. I don't remember the name of it. It was in black and white, and it was from like the seventies or something like that. It was not a Tarkovsky. I'd never heard of the guy before, and uh, yeah, I, I I felt you know shamefully I fell asleep. Uh, the film was so visually bizarre that when I woke up. I, and I would, I would, I, I, it was sometimes hard to tell whether I was dreaming or awake, but, uh, yeah, I, it's the lamest digression in the history of the world. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you basically forced me into it. <laughs> now we have to figure <laughs> out what that movie was. I take some responsibility, but yeah, the cast of escape from New York, uh, uh, is, is, is incredible too. Um, Harry Dean Stanton. That movie really terrified me as a child because, it's funny, you know, there's the early scenes where they capture him and they're taking him, or, he, or even when he's exploring on his own, he goes down to these underground, like, sort of subterranean basement levels, and there's, like, people just, like, lying around on the ground, yeah. uh, you know, that seem, like, like bombed out on drugs and stuff, and it just seems so threatening and, and terrifying, this environment, you know? Yep. Uh, it, it often makes me think of, uh, there's this... There's this um, a Philip K. Dick quote, which was in Heavy Metal magazine, where they, you know, back in the day, they used to have like interviews with people and like weird movie reviews and stuff in the front few pages. And there was a little interview with Philip K. Dick, and he had just been shown uh, some footage of a uh, Blade Runner, like raw footage. Mm. And, and he died soon afterwards. And he never, like, he never saw the finished film. But his quote, um, it was, I think it was the scene where it was like Deckard was hunting. Uh, um, what's her her name? Um, Prim Pris Prim. No, no, uh, the other the other uh, replicant uh, after the strip joint scene. Oh. Uh, yes, her, her. God damn it! A great actress, Joanna Cassidy. Yes, Joanna actress. Cassidy. Thank you. Uh, yes, he's hunting Joanna Cassidy, and it's like that really dense kind of like environment. Oh yeah, jumping on top train. of the car and yeah, and 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 Phil K. Dix. Uh, response was imagine what those people would do to you <laughs> <laughs> uh, wow yeah just paranoia and, and sort of a strange way of looking at the world is so perfectly present in that in that quote you know yeah um and that, yeah and that's why i felt looking you know when i what as a young when i was a lot younger and i first watched escape from new york was was this world seemed so incredibly threatening and menacing you know yes I don't know if it's because now I'm an adult or if because I was an incredibly like squeamish and, uh, uh, you know, shy child. And I, I like, I think, you know, what I was talking about earlier where I, where I had such an ex- extreme reaction to a film is because I would just immediately connect emotionally with what was happening with like no filter. And, uh, I think maybe that's why I found death wish or sorry, death race 2000. So, so, uh, so jarring the first time I saw it because, mm. I was like emotionally connecting with it instead of, instead of you know, going with the flow. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, that, that's, that's the thing I like about Escape from LA though, is, is the, the more overt uh, sort of political uh, satire of it, I guess. Yeah. 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 And, but, and Snake's but, final act of defiance is kind of satisfying, even in that goofy movie. It's, it is. It is. It's, it's, it's pretty legendary. Yeah. <laughs> it, Say hello to the human race. <laughs> <laughs> and so Blade Runner must be one of your picks, isn't that? Yeah. Dystopian kind of. Yeah. Yeah. When I, when I mentioned it just now, I realized that, that 
it, it, it can definitely fall into the futuristic fascist police state. Sure. In a way. I mean, technically, yes. You know, I mean, there's there's police in that film hunting and killing people that don't, you know, quote unquote, deserve to live. Uh, the thing, I guess I guess it, it, what makes it interesting, though, is that that the world is such is so chaotic and uh, insane. You know, it's whereas usually in these films, the futuristic fascist police state side of it. Even in films where there's there's a there's a an, you know a a wasteland in one part of the film, right? And then and then the city, which is completely like locked down and, and uh, militarized, you know, there is no order being preserved yeah. in Blade Runner. Yeah, it's like the, the world is just like a garbage dump now that they that, that they just let like fall fall into chaos or relative chaos because everybody you know really matters has has uh, has, has left the planet. <laughs> yeah. I guess a really recent uh, example of a futuristic fascist police state movie would be uh, Elysium. Oh, sure. Yeah. 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 That has all of the check marks of the futuristic fascist police state. It's one of the few full blown, blown examples of the genre, like a big budget movie. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, from, from the recent past, I guess. Well, no, I'm wrong. Now that I'm thinking about it, uh, like a thousand different movies are popping in my head. <laughs> are they of recent vintage? Because I'm blanking. That, that's I mean, I guess Neil Blomkamp's earlier film a little bit. Uh, yeah, for sure. But, Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Minority Report. Um, okay. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, maybe not a thousand. Just the one. Just but no, it's Report. funny you say that because Minority Report somehow doesn't have, and maybe it's just because, you know, I, I, obviously like everybody here, I came to it as an adult it doesn't have that chilling, terrifying edge to it that um, when I think of the genre, uh, yeah. I always think of. No, it doesn't have it. And it's weird because it actually becomes almost like a, like a, like a standard issue political thriller. Yeah. Uh, in the last act. Yeah. It's very much like enemy of the state or something like that uh, structurally. And as far as the villain being exposed and, and taken down, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But then it has this overlay of the Philip K. Dick uh, I, uh, future. I always waited. I remember at the, at the end of that film, I waited for them to cut back to Tom Cruise in a jar. And you realize the last 10 minutes have all been happening in his head, kind of <laughs> a la Brazil, which would have given it that. But, uh, <laughs> that would have been a great tagline for that movie. <laughs> Tom Cruise in a jar. <laughs> Tom Cruise in a jar, yeah. <laughs> well, he'd fit. Oh, oh. <laughs> It's the kind of joke I, Nicole used to. I'm going to. He'll never hire me again, anyway. <laughs> I've, I've heard. I've heard it put forth that that if you watch the, the film with that in mind, you can argue that when he gets put in that jar, yeah, from that point on, yeah, that's so, that's what I was expecting was a, a call. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And, and I think it's. I think it's. 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 Uh, it's. It's. It's arguable that that is exactly what's happening in the film, like the overt happy ending, everything working out right. so nice. Clearly, uh, total recall too. You know, like yeah. Um, yeah. everything's just happening uh, as you as you would want it to. But speaking of total recall, uh, Verhoeven's total recall, recall and uh, is definitely a futuristic fascist police state movie on the on the Mars side of it. Yeah. Um, and so is Starship Troopers. You know. We're yes. Putting, yes, but especially. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. By the way, I. I um... Uh, I, I apologized profusely and ate my shorts on on uh, on um, blow up the other day. Have we have we have I done this on the air yet? I what? I went back to Starship Troopers. Oh, you had a problem with Starship Troopers? Oh yeah, we talked. Well, I I 
I want to put this Starship Troopers was in the can when my first movie got made and Gabriel Byrne, who has been perfect in the part, had been replaced by a young actor named Casper Van Dien, who we were told was going to be a gigantic star. And I remember going to see Starship Troopers and all I could see watching, it was a premiere or, you know, pre-screening and all I could see happening was this guy was not going to be, you know, <laughs> um, and, and that was kind of my only takeaway. And I've, I've had a huge issue with that film for decades. And I finally, after we talked, I can't remember who it was, somebody here went, uh, crazy for it. And I went, all right. And I went back and I watched it again and I just absolutely fucking loved it. <laughs> I mean, I don't think you can. Better late than never, man. Yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. They wait for us. That's the great thing about movies is they sit there and they wait well, for us. Well, that's true. Um, but my no way, God. I'm almost jealous, you know, to be able to discover Starship Troopers uh, with a new eye. Uh, now. <laughs> well, it's kind of a joy to watch what looks like a big budget, dumb studio effects laden thing that, you know, like, oh, come on, here we go. And holy shit. I can't imagine that movie uh, getting made then, let alone today. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> the beauty of that, though, film, though, as far as as far as it lays in the in the futuristic fascist police genre, is that the futuristic fascist uh, police are the heroes of the movie, right? Yes, and uh, that's that's the glorious part of it, you know. And that's well, that's the, and it's a recruiting a movie for them. Is the yeah, yeah, exactly. I think we've. I think I said this before, but it's just always struck me. Paul Verhoeven had the most amazing run making nothing but when he was over here, nothing but movies that said, fuck you to the audience. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. With like mega budgets. Yeah. Absolutely <laughs> incredible. Absolutely incredible. Yeah, really mind blowing. Yeah. <laughs> I got, I, I rewatched, uh, the, not the last time, but one of the last times that I watched, uh, uh, total recall was when it first came out on HD DVD. <laughs> ah, yeah. And that I always choose the wrong format. This is part of, <laughs> I, part of my legacy from my dad is that he chose beta. And now I always choose the wrong format. We had like thousands of beta tapes. <laughs> and uh, so I had the HD DVD of, of Total Recall. Super excited to watch it. And uh, at the time, I was still smoking a little bit of weed. And uh, I, I made like weed butter and made weed cookies out of them. And... Uh, it took a long time for them to kick in. And then, and then, you know, of course there was the initial wave of feeling like I was being haunted by race. But as soon as that mellowed out that I put on, <laughs> on total recall HD DVD and, and, and it struck me like halfway through the film, it reminded me of that line in, um, from, um, uh, fear and loathing in Las Vegas where Hunter S. Thompson says, when he goes to the circus circus and he says, this is what will be happening on any given Saturday night. If the Nazis had won the war, <laughs> It popped in my head. Yes. Little recall. Yes. <laughs> it almost pre Starship Troopers. It almost has this feeling of like a bizarre alternate timeline, you know, uh, uh, Austrian fucking Technicolor movie or something. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, I, I don't know what the laws are up there, so maybe you don't want to, but I, I do. Do you still occasionally partake or? Uh... No, no. I, I just make me so paranoid and, uh, the last time I did it was my wife took me to see the Yes concert. Okay. Yes, which is like there's like one original member or something like that now, and then a bunch of uh, a bunch of session musicians, and that was a trying ordeal for me. <laughs> uh, it was very intense. Yeah. Because they have they have stuff down here now that weeds out all the bad parts. Excuse the pun. Yeah. And I just I gotta I there, I gotta recommend. You may be sick of looking at it, but you have not seen Mandy until you've. Um, 
Yeah, I'm going to do that one day. <laughs> do, uh, do a microdose of acid, too. I highly guess. recommend. <laughs> Somebody told me to, 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 that they went and saw it in acid, and I was like, why would they do, do that? I remember there was a screening <laughs> of, of Black Rainbow uh, oh, yeah. long years ago, and a bunch of people that I knew all took mushrooms, and they all got, or they were all enraged with me when they came out. <laughs> I was like, nobody told you to do that. I didn't recommend it. Like, that was a foolish, foolish, foolish move. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I, I think that's the thing with those, with those, I'm kind of making them as if, as, I'm making them because that way because I can't get high anymore. So, I, <laughs> fully, fully high for me, you know? Interesting. <laughs> to try that sometime yeah <laughs> do you have anything else you'd like to throw in before we uh no i i i, I feel unless you want a less awkward ending that i have nothing <laughs> <laughs> no no that's that's fantastic it's been a, a wonderful and, and kind of weirdly depressing uh <laughs> conversation and, and thank you for for uh coming <laughs> coming through the airwaves from yes uh, thank you for that and um, uh, thank you thrill. so much for mandy uh hey it's josh again uh, we hope you've enjoyed this episode and i just wanted to play a tiny little bit for you from last week's episode with karen kusama uh who if you listen to the show you know has exquisite taste um in all things cinematic um, but she was also a giant, giant fan of Mandy, and we recorded a little bit of her talking about it uh, before the show last week. So here's Karen Kusama waxing rhapsodic about Mandy. Yeah, giant. well, it's one chainsaw, and then the other guy's like, other I've guy's got even a bigger, bigger chainsaw. That's what guys do. Utterly exactly. absurd. And when that happened, Phil, my husband, just couldn't stop laughing. He yeah. was like, okay, I feel like this movie is really acknowledging it's over the top. Yeah. yeah. I guess it's what I love because it is so moving and so emotional and oh. so goddamn funny. Oh my God. When they, At when you scene. meet, when you see them meet or see each other for the first time, mm -hmm. I was, I mean, just so deeply moved by that. Yeah. It was just in their conversations in bed. And, and there was a, there was a line of dialogue that in the first viewing I hadn't heard or quite understood. And then in the second viewing, when Linus Roach gives his like psychotic, you know, everything in front of me belongs to me speech, right, right. which is sort of a stand in for, you know, where we're at politically right now. And he's kind of like, well, what do you think of that? And she threw her like horrifically drugged state yeah. can still say, I, I fear the Reaper is fast approaching. And then to see Nick Cage go to Bill Duke for the Reaper and realize Oh, she knew he was going to come for her. Yeah. And Oh, that's uh, that that's how much of a team they were. Yeah. I literally was like, "Phil, I need a t-shirt that says I fear, I fear the, the reaper, reaper is fast approaching." approaching. Yes. <laughs> because guys, it is. <laughs> <laughs> that's so funny. Um, wow. Yeah. Yeah, I've 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 seen it twice and I'm having some folks over to see it in a week or two for oh, the third nice. time because it's fun. One of those movies you have to lead people to, I think. That's part of the fun is leading people to movies yeah. that they wouldn't Absolutely. ordinarily see. Yes. And actually a couple of them that we'll talk about today, I was led to. Ah. So I'm excited. Don't, don't tell Joe yet. I won't. Our show was recorded in Hollywood, California at Crossroads of the World. 
or the official podcast of TrailersFromHell.com, the best damn movie website there is. Our engineer is the composer Don Barrett, who also transmogrified, produced, and created our theme song. This is Josh Olson for the Movies That Made Me. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts.